Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Anyways, Romans chapter 6, verse 15, is another sort of section in Paul's discussion of this whole idea of identification with Christ, our identity in Christ, our union with Christ. He's been um, talking about this idea that we are identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. As Christ died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. When he rose again, we rose again with him. And because of this identification in Christ, we have paid the penalty for sin, which is what? Death. We died with Christ. But we rose again with him because we're in him. And when did this in him take place? When did God decide, design that we would be in Christ? Before the foundation of the world. All right. We're not going to sort that out in our own finite mind. You just got to go with that one. All right. Before time began, God knew me personally. And he chose me to be in Christ. All right. And that union with Christ means I've been buried with him, died with him, and I rose again with him. So because of that, because of my union with Christ, how should that affect me? How should that make me different? Well, Romans 6.15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? What did he say? We're, he said we are not under the law but under grace. So what do you think he means by that in verse 14 where it says, For you are not under the law but under grace. What do you think he means by that? What's the picture of what he's trying to say? As a means of what? Yeah, we don't have to follow the law as a means of righteousness. If you don't have grace, what is your only hope? you got to be perfect, man. Well, that doesn't help, Benny, because we're not perfect, right? And because of that, we're not under the legal system, we're under grace. Because we died with Christ, we are now under grace. We're not under the legal restrictions of the law as a means of righteousness. I, I, I was talking to somebody earlier about this. I, I feel like Pastor Walls has said here, and he's been here for 11 years or so on, to bring us from law to grace. Yeah. Pastor Don was a great man, a great minister. He had a legalistic streak in him. And it's harder to live under the under grace than under the law. Yeah. Because somebody says, why do you live this way? You don't, why do you do this? Because my church says this, and this is what I can't do. But under grace, those are all my decisions. Right. That's what I choose and what God's told me to do. So I, I'm the only one. I can't blame my church or blame no. the tenets of what uh, of the congreg- congregation or whatever. Yeah, I remember back in the day when, you know, 70s, you had to sign, if you wanted to teach or serve in the church, you had to sign a paper that said you will not go to movies, you will not drink, you will not smoke. I think dancing, right, I think dancing was on the list too. But you had to sign this thing. Because um, movie theater was definitely on, you know, on the list. Now when the videotapes came out, those were okay. You could rent a tape, but you couldn't go see the movie in the movie theater. I'm just saying that's what it was, all right? I'm just saying that's the way it was. Um, 
Yeah, so the question, yeah. Yeah. Your list is way too short. Yeah. If you want to start listing things, you got to add this, you got to add that, you got to videos and different all kinds of different magazines and, you know. Yeah. I remember back then Pastor Darrell, who was not allowed to go to a movie, was able to rent a video at the video store. Same thing. It's just, you know, six weeks later you get it at the video store instead of going to see it in the movie theater. All right. The point is, when you're under grace, it's harder. Because you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? All right? The, the legal code is, is easier in, in some respects because you can check it off on the box. But that doesn't give, yeah, us, a free, that doesn't give us a free ride. No, it doesn't. Grace doesn't mean uh, permission. And that's what Paul's going to get at here. Yeah. So now that you're not under the law, but under grace, does that give you a license to sin? No. Horrors. Again, there are six ways to say no in the Greek language, and this is the strongest. This is by far the strongest way. This is like a, the ultimate no way should you ever think of doing this. Don't even let it cross your mind. Don't even think about it. I love the sign I saw. Don't even think of parking here. You know, um, Don't even think of this. You're not under the law, but you're under grace. But that doesn't give you a license to go out and sin, right? Just because you're not under the... And the idea is just because you're not under the legal code of, as a means of, in their thinking, righteousness, doesn't mean I can disobey the law of God because, eh, you know, he'll forgive me anyways. Now, technically, theologically, does God forgive you anyways if you're a Christian? Does that make you want to sin? No. See, that was the big argument in the Reformation because the Catholic Church argued, well, if you take away the, and make this thing justification by faith, people are going to go hog wild and just sin up a storm. Well, if you're an unbeliever, you're going to sin up a storm, right? In fact, I would suggest this. If, if you get this idea that you're not under the law but under grace and therefore you can go sin, probably you're not a Christian. First Corinthians eight. And what he's saying makes it even worse because he's saying, you know, all things are available to me, but if it's going to be part of a stepping stone, stumbling block, else, then I shouldn't be doing it, even though it's all right for me. I feel it's all right for me, yeah. but not for him, right? <laughs> yeah, it's called uh, expediency. Just because. I have the freedom to do something doesn't necessarily mean I do it. See, here's the thing. Here's what God wants you to do. All right? Bottom line. God wants you to engage your brain. Why are you doing this? What did Christ say at the Sermon on the Mount? Why are you praying? Are you repeating things like the heathen do? Do you ever go on prayer and just go on autopilot? And five minutes later, you're still praying, but you have no idea what you prayed for in the last five minutes? God wants you to think. He wants you to use your head. He wants you to be in the game. He wants you to interact. You ever talk to somebody and they're having a conversation with you, but their brain is 200 miles away somewhere? That's most frustrating. God wants you to engage your mind. He wants you to think, why are you doing this? What, why do you do this particular thing? Can I go see a movie? Why do you want to see that movie? But can I go see it? But why do you want to go see it? 
Is it okay for me to have this glass of wine with my spaghetti? Well, why do you want to have a glass of wine with your spaghetti? But is it okay, Lord? Can I do it? Yes or no? Well, why do you want to do it? See, that's, that's the frustration that we have because you got to think about it now. Why are you doing this? Paul is saying just because you're under, the law, under grace and not the law doesn't mean you just don't willy-nilly do anything you want. Now you've got to engage your brain a little bit and think about it. Same thing when you're growing up. When you're a five-year-old kid, you've got a bedtime. When you're 50 years old, you better not. Well, you might have to have a bedtime because you've got to be cognizant the next day, I guess, or something like that. But, but the whole point there is that what used to be a law is now a principle, right? You've got to work the next day, so you need to get your rest. So that's up to you now to figure out when you go to bed. But you've got to think about it, right? He says, you're not under the law, but under grace. And because you are, don't think you can just sin because it doesn't matter. Yeah. But not everything is beneficial. No. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Mm -hmm. No one can seek their own good, but the good of others. Yeah. What's the good of the larger crowd? What's the good of the greater people? You know, I probably ha I have the right, if I want to, to have a bottle of wine in the fridge and have it with my meal. It's not forbidden, unless you're a Baptist, in which case it is, but... I've got that out of me. But having said that, you know, if you were to come over to my house and say, now wait a minute, you know, you're the teacher of my Sunday school class and you're on the board of the church and you got a glass of hooch in the fridge, you know, there's something wrong with you. That's a stumbling block. So let's not let's not go there. I don't need to do that. It's not expedient for me to do that. It's not necessary for me to do that. I've decided that's probably not a good thing to do. Can I smoke a cigar? Yeah, I can smoke a cigar. Spurgeon smoked cigars. Good night, you know, Prince of Preachers. But that's probably seen negatively. We probably ought not do that. Is it a sin? No, it's just I've decided not to do it. But I had to think about it. Why am I doing this? What's, what's the purpose for me doing this? And what Paul is saying here is, don't you know, and this is an axiomatic truth he's going to bring up, don't you know that when you go on presenting yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves to the one whom you obey? Axiomatic truth. Now, see, we live in this world today where people say, I want to be free, I want to do my own thing. Freedom, 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 rights. Are they free? I would suggest that no one is free. Well, it depends on what you mean by free. If you mean by free, I can make decisions. We all have ability to make decisions, right? But what decisions are you going to make? You're going to make decisions consistent with what? Your heart, who you are. That's who you're going to make decisions with. Paul is saying here is that the person you try to please is your master, which may be you. We're all slaves. We're all, no one is free. You ask the average person out there, um, are you free? Yeah, I'm free to do what I want to do. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I want to sin. Well, then you're a slave to sin, right? right. Duh. 
You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to your passions. You're a slave to alcohol, drugs, whatever. If that's what's controlling you, you're a slave to that. Paul says axiomatically true. How do I know, how do I know who you're a slave to? Well, who are you obeying? Who are you following? Are you following yourself? Are you following sin? Are you following the passions of this world? Are you following what it's saying out there in the world? Are you following Christ? Who, who are you following? And I find it completely incompatible to say, I am a Christian when I'm following something other than Christ. Right? It could be anything. It's idle. It's, I'm following that. You know, I've been on Facebook for many years, and there's some people I stopped following because, you know, they say I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but I believe in, I'm a pro-choice Christian. Think about that. Not too long. How can you be a pro-choice Christian? It's murder. Good for him. I mean, I'm not a Catholic, but good for him. Yeah. It's an incompatible thing to say, I am a Christian and, I'm just picking on pro-choice because that's a big one right now, I am pro-choice. I'm for women killing their children. I'm okay with that, but I'm, I'm a Christian. No, that's an incompatible. You're either not a Christian or you're just messed up. Why? Because you're a slave to what? What the world says. See, there's a thing that, that what, what, throughout the Bible you see God setting us, he said there's two ways. There's my way, then there's all these other ways. There's a lot of different ways over here. But here's the way. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He said, I'm not one of the ways to get to God. I'm not just pick one and we're all going to wind up there someday. There's one way to God. It's a narrow way. It's my way. And then you got all these other ways. That's not what God says. Who is? If you want to know how to get to heaven, you ask God. You don't ask your neighbor. Christ said you come the narrow way, you come the narrow gate. You don't just come in and, see, that was Cain's problem. See, Cain's problem, his idea was, I'll give God a, the fruit of land, that's good enough for him. But what did God tell them? What did God tell Cain and Abel he wanted? Come on, Sunday school class, 101. What was the requirement? A lamb. They both knew that, by the way. I mean, if you read the text of Genesis, it's not that Cain just made a lucky, guess, uh, unlucky guess. Because <clears throat> God told him, said, if you do the right thing, you'll be accepted too. Implied, you knew what I wanted, you just didn't bring it. And Cain said, I'll, I'll give God what he wants, and if he doesn't accept it, that's his problem. No, wait a minute. God has the right to determine the, the conditions for restoration, right? And God said, here's the way I want you to go. If you go this way, you'll be blessed. All these other ways are going to get you into trouble. I remember watching, you know, read Pilgrim's Progress. You need to read that like every couple of years. You got, Pil you got Christian on his way to the celestial city. He comes to a fork in the road, and they both look like, yeah, that's, 
Yeah, they're, they're, both, they're both aiming towards the celestial city. But what does he, which one does he take? He takes the wrong one. He finds himself on the other side of the mountain and in trouble. There's God's way and there's every other way. Um, Matthew 7. Straight is the gate. And, I mean, narrow is the way that leads to salvation. Broad is the gate and wide is the way that goes to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. There's two ways. There, there's, there's two trees. There's two guys building on a house on the sand and on the rock. It's, Christ says there's this way and then there's all these other ways. Paul is saying here, if you're a slave to sin... You're not a slave to God. And how do you know you're a slave to? Well, who are you, who you obeying? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the world? Are you listening to what the world says? Are you listening to what God says? See, that, that's, that's the difficulty, you know? We live in a world today where I know God said he created the world in Genesis 1, but, you know, scientists are smarter than God are, and we've decided it was four and a half billion years. Oh, really? What did God say? Or what did Christ say? Have you not read he made him in the beginning, made them male and female? Was, who, who created this whole thing anyways? Christ. Do you think Christ knew what he did? I hope he did. He said, have you not read he made him in the beginning, made them male and female? What's he talking about? Genesis 3. What's he saying? It's history. That's the way it happened. But see, we have a, we have a better way. We have smarter things. I'm getting a little off track here, but the whole idea that Paul's saying is the, you know who you're following by who you're listening to. And when your morals and when your decisions and when your um, worldview is being shaped by the culture, it's not being shaped by God. Because we live in an anti Christian culture. You understand that? If you want to know what God is like, you ask God. You don't ask your neighbor. Yeah. Well, we're very good at idolaters, being idolaters. And here's the thing. I expect it in the world. I expect the world to be full of idolaters, but, you know, it leaks into the church. When you talk to people in the church who say, for example, you know, you talk to people who are Christians, they say, well, it's okay to be, live the LGBTQ whatever lifestyle. That's okay. Because God made them that way. Okay, where do you get that information? Well, that's what everybody says. Good for them. But what does God say? Have you not read, he made them in the beginning what? Male and female. Um, I think God designed two genders, not 26 or whatever. I got you up to 26 over in California now.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that being said, I read some years back in an early conclusion that the Messiah was the most prominent in the historical timeframe of the first coming was he agreed with Darwin's proposal. I would say, like, yeah. Now, today's statistics may be different. Yeah. But that, you know, with his observation, that tells me that any changes that have occurred since creation were primarily going to be destructive. Now, what is the destructive aspect of genetic change or sexual orientation? If, if he limits yeah. the ability of men to procreate. It's, uh, I like what uh, Vance Havner says, we're not evolution, it's devolution. We're de-evolving, all right, as time goes on. But here's the point, where do you get your, this is interesting, I was listening, by the way, go out and um, do a web search on Truth Matters, you can pick up the Truth Matters conference, it was just down there, it's awesome, it's freaking awesome, you gotta listen to it. But uh, Ken Ham did a really good um, second session there, and uh, his basic idea, he, he said, um, the answer to all of our social ills is found in Genesis 1 through 11. How many genders are there? Well, Genesis 1 through 11 tells you that. Male and female. In fact, science says you got an XX or an XY. That's it. Period. All right. Um, now, because of sin, this has all been marred and tainted, right? But in the beginning, God created them male and female. In the beginning, God created one man, one woman for life. In the beginning, God sets the moral code of the universe. And man's been going downhill ever since. But that's an interesting point you made, Bob. What's the, what's the, what's the genetic code? What's it say on a person? When you look at, when you look at, yeah. What does it say in the genes? Yeah. And again, you got to understand, I think Ruthann is right, because of sin, um, we, we fall under the, the decay of sin. And some of us have certain proclivities to certain sins that others don't. That's part of fallenness. All right? But at the end of the day, you've got God's way, and you've got every other way. Paul is saying, how do I know which road you're on? Who are you listening to? Generally. And if you're, if you're on that road that says, 
I'm okay. I've been forgiven. God doesn't matter if I sin. I can do what I want. It's okay. You just may as well be on the road to destruction. You may not be on the narrow road at all. Again, I don't have a copy of the Book of Life, so I can't look your name up. But at the other end of the day, you, Paul's making an axiomatic truth. And he's going to, we're out of time here because I've got to get down there. But the point is, here, it's an axiomatic truth. If you want to know who you're a slave to, the question to ask is, who am I listening to? And if you're listening to the world and to the morals of the world and to the current thing or whatever the world's come up with, you're a slave to that. If you're listening to God, you're a slave to Him. But Paul's going to make this argument later on. You can't be a slave to both of them. One or the other. Father, thanks for this time. And we had a short class today, but help us to ponder what we've talked about here and think about it this week. Help us to think really long and hard about who we listen to. Are we listening to you? Are we listening to the world? It's one or the other. And again, thank you for this time of study in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.